Well, everybody knows Scott's inner monologue because we just heard it right during the I didn't the do anything. Okay. You cleared your throat and then you spoke to yourself. Oh, did I? <laughs> oh, I don't even realize that I spoke to myself. Sorry. Yeah. Welcome back, everybody, to another exciting edition of True Crime on Easy Street. My name is Kelly Turner. I'm not a doctor. Scott Wright, mediocre journalist. Katie Givens, not a lawyer. And we are... We're here in the studio with our Halloween candy hangover. Oh, yeah. And we're done. What a great party at your house last night. Had a great Unbelievable time. chili and hot dogs and Kevin fell into the campfire. That was hilarious. I hope he's okay. <laughs> I'm not rubbing salve on his butt, though, so don't ask. Oh, Lord. Fantastic. <laughs> Katie did not fall into the, the campfire. Well, Let's we'll clear that, that up. Let's clear that up. Um, anyways, had a great time. Hope everybody had yeah. a safe and happy Halloween. Absolutely. And I just wanted to say that I am so happy to be in the studio with you guys today. You guys are two of my best friends in the world, comma, female category. And I'm just happy to be here with both of you today. Oh, thanks. Are yeah. you getting getting into what you're thankful for since we're in November now? No, I'm thinking about it. You're trying to be sentimental? Not yet. I just, no, I heard that joke last night on TV and I wanted to use it today. <laughs> oh, okay. So that was <laughs> female category? Right. Female category. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I know who your best friends are in the um, canine category. Oh, yeah. Everybody who follows me on Facebook knows that, I guess. Yes, uh, you have two. Buford and Tilly. You have two of the cutest. I know. Furry little friends. It helps me to not go out and do stupid things on the weekends because I'm like, you know what? I could be home right now hanging out with the dogs. And they love and it you. it encourages me to go home early and be semi-responsible. Okay, now tell me, Buford T. Justice, he's he's the elder. Yeah, he's the Yorkie. How old is he? He's 14. Wow. I know, wow. I know I'm sad. He's the same age as my son. Yeah. Well, not in dog years. <laughs> no, not in dog years. He's, what, in his 90s? Yeah, until he's five. Oh, she's uh, hitting her stride. Wow, I didn't oh, yeah. realize Does she have a that. lot of energy? Oh, yeah, all of the energy in the house. I mean, if she hears the wind blow, that is a four-alarm fire. <laughs> So, what is she? She is a teacup poodle. Oh Lord! Yeah, she's, she weighs all of what she's two pounds. She's five pounds, and she is the color of uh, Alabama red clay. That's what color she is. She is muddy brown, I guess is what you call it, <laughs> with a splash of red. I don't know. Cinnamon dirt. Oh, I love <laughs> cinnamon it. dirt. Cinnamon <laughs> dirt. That's perfect. Um, okay, now we've talked about that. Um, all of your friends. Mm-hmm. We've covered them, right? Yeah, you uh, have, that's everybody. You have no more friends. That's it. Now we're, we can move on to the next topic. Speaking of the next topic, I heard that you participated in a pickleball tournament this previous weekend and <laughs> almost won the thing. Oh, Details. I came in second. That sucks. Yeah, my partner was Julie Graves. We've had her on the show. She's uh, very athletic, but she, she doesn't is. have... Can she... Does she have a lot of reach? I mean, she's not the tallest person in the world. Uh, she's not, but Julie is very, very quick yeah. and very fast. Oh, she was a good athlete in high school. And a very good athlete. She's yeah. a much better athlete than I am. I am taller and have a little bit more reach than she does, but uh, that really doesn't mean anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the pickleball court's not that big. Yeah, that's true. It's not like you're covering an entire tennis court. Right, right. That's why it's pickleball. It's for yeah. older folks like us. Well, you guys, I don't play. It looks ridiculous <laughs> to me. It's a, it is. It does. I'm sure it's good exercise. It's fun. It was fun, but uh, Julie and I were not happy with second place. 
You yeah, know, that's, that's just, yeah. that's you who we are. You guys are both very competitive. I get that. Yeah, that's who we are. So um, I told KT, I said, I'm, I'm already, you know, training and getting ready for next year. So that uh, he said, yes, please don't bring shame upon the Turner household again <laughs> Yeah, with a silver medal. <laughs> don't no, even bring that home. <laughs> we had a good time though. I think Julie's son, Jacob, told her to uh, not to come in the house with that silver medal to just leave it, it the in the garbage. <laughs> that sounds like Jacob. So what did Jake say about it? Uh, he just said to make sure and ask you guys about oh. it because he knew that you had come in just short of the goal I know. that you set for yourselves. I know. Anyways, we, we, we did have a good time. We got lots of good exercise and a sunburn for my troubles. And, uh, it was warm. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was 80-something degrees yesterday. Yeah, it's supposed or, to be. Uh, not yeah. yesterday, today. It's cold now. We, the weather has taken yes. a turn for the cold. So last weekend was really the last warm weekend to get out and do things, sit outside, enjoy the sunshine. You've That's got right. a little sun on your face I mean, all day. In the, yeah. And there's there's not there hasn't been a cloud over the skies in Alabama for like two weeks. I know. The, the sky has really been beautiful. And uh, this past weekend, the moon was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Yeah. It is. All right. So do we have any shout outs? Yeah, absolutely. I got a, uh, a nice comment on our exorcist episode. You okay. guys know that on Spotify now people can leave little comments. That's right. And I go in and check those and then I can make sure that they are published so everybody else can see them. Ah, so I can okay. publish this. Did not realize that. I didn't and know then that it was becomes visible to yeah. everybody and not just us. Well, then you've already read this one because, uh, our listener with the coolest middle name ever, April Sunshine Gibbons. I love it. Said that she loved our episode about the exorcist and encourages uh, encouraged us to keep up the good work. Oh, thank you so much. I love that name, April Sunshine. I do too. It just makes me smile. Yeah. Uh, another one, Lynn Cole. Okay. Uh, she reached out to us on Facebook. She's a fan of the show. She lives near Mobile. Okay. Uh, and she said, uh, well, first of all, Mobile is just about as far away from Cherokee County as you can get and still be in Alabama. True. Yeah. Uh, but an, an Alabama native like us. And Lynn laughed and said that we make her laugh all the time. Oh. She thinks we're hilarious. That's great. Which I totally agree with that you two don't when it comes to me. Anyway, <laughs> she thanked us for entertaining and informing her. Lynn said that the three of us make her want to come and hang out in Center, Alabama. Center, well, come on. Yeah. Center, Alabama is a great place. Well, Lynn, if you're out there listening, if you wait until next Memorial Day, mm-hmm. you can have lunch at Jake's on the Lake, which is our unpaid sponsor that <sighs> I have committed to just getting in every time I possibly can. Now, until then, Lynn, you can come to Easy Street. I mm-hmm. recommend the, the wings, which I had over the weekend, are fantastic. <gasps> so good. The burgers are good. The best salad bar in town. Oh, so yeah. plenty of good Definitely. food at Easy Street until Jake's opens Memorial Day 2024. <laughs> and then and then we'll see you at, uh, after Labor Day. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure Shane loves <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shane doesn't listen to this podcast. That's true. I know. He was saying something the other day. He said, Scott told me y'all said such and such. And I said, I can not confirm yeah. or deny. Listen you for listen. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great response. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so do we have any more shout-outs? I'm finished with that part. Okay. Um, I want an update on law school, Katie, because, I, you know, occasionally I get torn up about this and about our intro. You know, it's I've already all, solved that problem. It's all about me. Well, I was about to say, no worries. I still have a long time to go. Every time someone asks me how much longer I have, I feel like I'm inventing years, but I... <laughs> 
This time in 2025 is when I'll finish. So oh my gosh. All right, so two more years. So okay. we've got that long to figure out a new intro for the show. I've got that long to just fret about after it. Casey, uh, after Katie passes the bar. I was yeah. about to say, yeah, step one, I have to pass the bar. Right. I can sit for the bar February 2026. So and every, It's only, what, every six months in Alabama? Uh-huh, there's, it's given twice a year. Twice February, a year. February and July. Okay. Ooh, no pressure there. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. Plenty of time to so, study if you blow yeah. it the first time, I guess. So y'all can That's keep true. me in your thoughts and prayers <laughs> from now until then. I'll definitely. I need them all. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. So this week, Scott is in the big chair. He's it, been preparing. This chair looks the same size as the other chairs. <laughs> if you're out there in podcast land and you've never seen the studio, all the chairs are the same size. Well, actually... Mine and yours, Kelly, are the same size. Yeah. Katie is technically in the big chair because yeah. it's her desk. That is true. Yeah, she does have a bigger, more comfy chair. Convert into the true crime studio on uh, recording day. Yeah. yeah. So, just if you're out there listening and you're trying to imagine what it looks like in here, don't wear yourself out. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I leave the mics up all the time so people walk in my office and be like, what's going on here? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Just some random things that are in here. There's a treadmill. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I am not a lawyer, so I don't see clients in here. I There's, just yeah. work in here. There's an empty dog cage. Yeah, there is. A stack of papers, <laughs> a bunch of empty boxes. This is also the shipping department, if we haven't mentioned that. I've really got to clean this office. <laughs> All right. So uh, now that we've shamed Katie. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was her turn of- in the rotation. We drew straws. You got the short one today. A yeah. box with spilled OxyClean. That it has smells leaked. terrific in here. It does. And that spot on the carpet is going to be pristine when you get finished cleaning <laughs> that. If that's OxyClean. You'll know there, what the carpet looked like when the place was... Well, the place is pretty new. Yeah, yeah the carpet's pretty yeah. clean. Yeah, the, the carpet's in pretty good shape. Yeah, and uh, OxyClean is not a sponsor, but they could They be. could be, if you're out there listening. <laughs> All right, so Scott, mm-hmm. what are we talking about today? Uh, we're going to talk about Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay, what is that? Uh, that is a book that was written in 2017 by David Gran, and it is currently a film... Starring uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro and Lily Gladstone, a new actress, and directed by Martin Scorsese. Okay, we know how much Scott loves And we've talked about him a lot here lately, so it it worked out perfectly that this movie landed when it did so soon after we had done the the, the four gangster movies, three of which were Scorsese films. Yeah. So it was, all of that knowledge is still temporarily retained in my head. Okay. So it came in handy when I watched the film. So we've also had a, several folks ask me, I don't know if they've asked you guys, if we are going to, in fact, finish organized crime. Oh, absolutely. We're going we're gonna, to yeah. string you along, though. Yeah. We're not going to make it easy on you. Yeah. So that is going to be completed. Now, is this, does this have an organized crime element to it? This, this movie or this yes. book? I mean, there is, a, there is a criminal conspiracy that takes place Okay. In this book. I wouldn't say it's organized crime in the traditional sense of organized crime. Okay. Like there's a boss and his underlings. Well, sort of. Sort of. We'll yeah. get there. Yeah. Is this based on actual events? Actual real life events that okay. happened uh, 100 years ago. Okay. And how close is the book and the movie to what actually happened? I, I will You're ex- getting I'm going to that. do that some, later on, okay. but there is, there is a, a distinct difference. There is a distinct difference in the way that the book was written and the way that Scorsese uh, approached the picture. Okay. And I'll explain that when we get there. All right. The picture. 
Well, the film. I, I just I get tired of saying the film in the movie. I'm trying to come up with synonyms for movies. Picture mm-hmm. flick. Eh, let's don't do flick. How about that picture show? Picture show. Picture show. <laughs> Okay, so you guys uh, are familiar with the seven deadly sins, right? Uh, yes, yes. Envy, gluttony, lust, pride, sloth, wrath, and most importantly for this episode, greed. Yes. Certainly the indigenous people who lived in Osage County, Oklahoma in the early 1920s would have disagreed with Michael Douglas's Gordon Gecko about greed being good. Remember that line yep. from Wall Street? Yes. First of all, greed is never good, but it was especially bad for the Osage people, who at the time in the 1920s, again, like I said, were considered to be among the wealthiest people in the nation, if not the world. And we will get to the why of that wealth shortly. Okay. Uh, But before we do that, let's explain the title, Killers of the Flower Moon. And that's the title of the book. The movie's the same title. And that's the title of today's podcast episode. The book, the film, and the podcast are all the same in at least one respect. They're all slow burn thrillers. Well... The movie and the book are. Okay. We'll see if the podcast turns into a thriller or not. (laughs) Don't get your hopes up and you won't be disappointed. And if you find that it is, make sure and go on to Apple iTunes and give us five stars out of five. Otherwise, keep your reviews to yourself. We say that over and over on this episode. We do. We want the fives, the fours, and the threes. Not so much. Yeah. Okay. If you make a comment, though, then we know who you are. If you don't make a comment, we don't know who you are. That's right. Okay, so Grant opens his book with an explanation of what the flower moon is. Uh, Every April, tiny flowers spread over the hills and valleys of Osage territory in Oklahoma. Uh, Osage writer John Joseph Meadows once described the site as looking like, quote, the gods had left confetti. By the time of the May full moon each year, taller weeds overtake the tiny flowers. Their blooms blow into the wind and their stalks get overtaken by the taller weeds and buried underfoot. This is why the Osage referred to May as the time of the flower-killing moon. And sure enough, it was in May of 2021 that the heroine of our story today, and one of the few heroes in this story today, began to suspect that something bad had happened to her older sister. The name of that brave Osage Indian woman with fear in her heart was Molly Burkhart. Molly is played expertly in the Scorsese film by a young actress named Lily Gladstone. Uh, There's already a lot of Academy Awards buzz about her performance in that film. Uh, She is 37 years old. She's a Native American actress from Montana. And she's been acting for 10 years, but this this is her breakout role. You're probably going to see her for the rest of her career now. Awesome. She did a really fantastic job in the film. And just like Molly's older sister, Anna... Molly was a very rich woman. All the more reason for suspicion, perhaps, considering what was happening on Osage territory in the early 20s, as we will explain. So here's the backstory. In the 1870s, the Osage people had been driven from their lands in Kansas onto an unwanted, worthless piece of land in northeastern Oklahoma. Molly's ancestors had been constantly removed and relocated since the 1830s when the Trail of Tears forced thousands of Native Americans westward in order to free up land for white settlers moving west from the East Coast. We all know about the Trail of Tears around here, right? There are signs on the sides of the road in a few places marking it as an original Trail of Tears path. I believe that was an Andrew Jackson thing, right? That is absolutely correct. Uh, And just briefly, if you're a listener who is not familiar with the phrase, the Trail of Tears, uh, it was basically the ethnic cleansing of the southeastern United States by the federal government. Yeah, the president. 
himself. The process lasted for about 20 years, beginning in 1830, with the passage of the Indian Removal Act under President Jackson. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who are young and really don't know, who the, he's on your $20 bill. That's right. Which is crazy. Which he, is crazy. Yeah. He did this and got his face on a $20 bill. How about that? Here's something that is unfortunately going to sound familiar uh, as today's story progresses. The Cherokee Indians, for whom Cherokee County, Alabama is named, yes, uh, they were removed from this area in 1838, mm. out towards Oklahoma. That was after gold was discovered in Dahlonega, Georgia. There was a gold rush in Georgia in the 1830s that I forgot about or never knew about. But that's why the Cherokees were... Mm-hmm. One of the reasons. Part of that. You see the markers there and uh, just across the line in Cave Springs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Georgia, right. Georgia, you yeah. see the Trail of Tears mm-hmm. marks and they go on into, um, what's past Cave Springs? You can see the, as you go into- Cedartown. Uh, Cedartown. Yeah. yeah. Uh, up yes. through there, you'll mm-hmm. see the, that. The back roads to the airport. If you go, to, if you yeah, drive just, to, if you drive to Atlanta from here. Right. That you're we just go saw those through. signs a couple of weeks ago. Katie you'll see I. probably two or three Trail yeah, of Tears several. markers uh-huh. yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, now, the Osage Indians, they were not indigenous to this part of the country. They were uh, up in the Ohio River Valley, but they had also been removed. And they're kind of moving all of the Native Americans into this one place, which is the plains of Oklahoma, where nobody wants to be right. at the time. So by the time of the Trail of Tears, the Osage had been settled in that area of northeastern uh, Oklahoma, and actually, when the Cherokees, Choctaws, Creeks, and Seminoles got there, the Osage considered them to be intruders. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I, I don't think it got to the level of fighting or anything, but, uh, you know, just, hey, we're, we were already here. I thought this was going to be our place, and now these other folks are coming in. Yeah. Outsiders. We can't even get removed to our own place. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's enough about the Trail of Tears. Let's get back to the Osages. And so onto this seemingly worthless square of land in Oklahoma, the Osage had been settled. By the early 20th century, it's about 50 years later now, assembly lines were spitting out automobiles by the thousands, and technological advances had made easier the creation of larger and heavy machinery for agriculture, manufacturing, and industry. And all of those cars and other pounding, piston-driven machines needed petroleum products in order to function properly. Gasoline, motor oil, heavy-duty lubricants. I'm guessing you two amateur sleuths have already figured out that the heretofore unwanted Osage territory turned out to be sitting above some of the wealthiest, largest oil deposits in the United States. Mm. In one year alone, as Grant noted in his book, the Osage tribe took in around $30 million. 100 years later, that's almost half a billion dollars. Wow. It's $526 million. Wow. And that was in 1923, $30 million. Newspapers of the day reported stories of the lavish lifestyle of the Osage, referring to them as, and this is direct quotes from the book here, Red Millionaires and the Plutocratic Osage. At the same time as Grand wrote, reporters seized on any signs of the traditional Osage way of life to try and stir in the public's mind the vision of wild Indians who somehow were not worthy of their newfound wealth. An example. One article noted, that those formerly brutal savages, described in the article as, quote, bronzed and brightly blanketed, had the unmitigated gall to park their fancy shiny cars in a circle in a field and then prepare their meat, quote, in the primitive style on an open campfire, a practice that we all refer to here today as, quote, cooking out. I mean, exactly. 
Another interesting note, I know, another interesting note reported by the newspapers, most of the members of the Osage tribe were wealthy enough to be able to afford servants in their homes. Oh. And prepare to clutch your pearls here, white people, because they were white people. Good for them. Back on the East Coast in the 20s, that type of yellow journalism, or perhaps red journalism would be the better way to describe it, uh, that caused a lot of other white people to... Get riled up. Yeah. Get all mad. Unbelievable. How dare they? How dare they? Okay, so back to the oil in the ground. And we're going to worm our way around uh, a lot of the details about the financial arrangement that was established for the Osage, but suffice it to say that we will tell you enough that you will be outraged by the greed that bubbled to the surface among the people in and around the Osage Territory who were not members of the Osage Nation. Okay. The white people who flocked to the area to set up shops and businesses and fleece the Osage, separate them from their money. Okay. Here's what we need to know right now about all of that Osage oil. The underground deposits were discovered in 1894, and there was so much of it and so few Osage people to share in the wealth of that discovery, there were about 2,300 members of the Osage Nation when all of this took place. Uh, Three years after that oil was found in 1894, the federal government stepped in and set up a system of guardianship for the Osage people. Now, wait until you hear what good old Uncle Sam did of his own free will for the Osage. This, This doesn't. Like it's going anywhere. I'm sure the Osage already did not trust the government at the time, especially considering all of the uh, broken peace treaties and forced relocations and outright lies they had been told through the decades by the folks in Washington, D.C. The policy of guardianship was set up for many of the Osage people. Uh, The government, if they determined that you were intellectually incapable of managing your money in a responsible fashion, you were declared incompetent. By good old Uncle Sam. How very considerate of good old Uncle Sam. Yeah, and how how does that work? This is, here's the thing. This is something that we can all come together on. Being told lies by folks in Washington, D.C. Hey, we're all on that bandwagon. Yeah. Every one of us. Yeah, no kidding. From back then to present day. (laughs) By the 1920s, those Osage oil fields were churning out about 700,000 barrels of oil every day. Wow. That's a lot. They were all over the place. There were their oil derricks, thousands of them all over Osage territory. Well, it was already Osage County. Oklahoma became the 46th state in 1907. And so Osage territory at that point became Osage County. Okay. Uh, One court confirmed the need for the policy due to what was referred to as I'm quoting now racial weakness. That was a court. Good Lord. Basically, if you're not white, you're not smart enough to manage your money, let us do it for you. Or appoint someone, a white person, to do it for you. Good gracious. Here is a clue that may help you guys to piece this story together as we go along. Every member of the Osage Nation, all 2,300 of them, men, women, and children, got an equal share of the tribe's mineral rights. It was called a head right. Okay. Those head rights could not be bought or sold only inherited by relatives, oh. which included your spouse, even if he was a duplicitous, deceitful white man. Oh, no. Store so that- they probably didn't encourage them 
marrying white people? Uh, it it wasn't encouraged, but it wasn't uh, scorned. Okay, it, it was somewhere in between. Okay, there were plenty of uh, Native American females who were married to white men. Okay, okay, so it wasn't a it wasn't unheard of. Okay, all right. Sometimes those guys got called, and here's another uh, racially offensive term: squaw men. Squaw being a an offensive ethnic yeah. slur for for a Native American female. Yeah, so that's what they were. If you were a white the, man who married an Indian man. woman, yeah. you were called a squaw man. Yeah, it was a slight Ugh. directed at you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so store that piece of information about the deceitful white man, because we're going to finish telling you this story right after this word from our sponsors. As we head toward the 2023 holiday season, the Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce and Tourism wants to remind everyone who lives in the surrounding area to shop local. Shopping locally means having lunch at a restaurant in town or purchasing unique items in a local shop or boutique or simply filling up your gas tank at the station down the street before hitting the road for a holiday vacation. Small businesses play a major role in maintaining our way of life by supporting our schools and nonprofits and providing jobs in the community. In short, they are giving back. The Chamber encourages you to give back to them by shopping local this holiday season. For more information, visit Cherokee-Chamber.org. Are you in the market for a full-time Weiss Lake home or recreational lot? Let Trini Davis and Elizabeth Powell put their all-star property group at Keller Williams Realty to work for you. Trini and Elizabeth are locals themselves, so they know the Weiss Lake area, and with over 40 years of experience, they're professional listing and buying agents, talented home stagers and photographers, and specialized marketing team will work to make your lakefront dreams come true. Check out the Keller Williams team on Facebook at All Star Property Rome. You can also visit at All Star Property Rome to browse their images on Instagram or give them a call at 706-844-7493. That's the All Star Property Group with Keller Williams Realty at 706-844-7493. You can hit pause, call them now, and make your Weiss Lake dreams a reality. Thank you to all of our sponsors. All right, back to it, Scott. Okay, before the break, we were discussing the details about the many indignities suffered by the Osage people. Uh, Over the tribe's vehement objections, many of the Osage, like we said, uh, were deemed incompetent, including Molly Burkhardt. I think I wrote Burkhalter on my notes, but it's supposed to be Molly. Can I do that over? Hang on. Uh, Over the tribe's vehement objections, many of the Osage, including Molly Burkhardt and her sister Anna, were deemed incompetent by the government and were forced to pay locally prominent white men to act as their financial guardians. Pay them? Yeah, of course. Sure, they got paid. Of course. That's, so that's, the, that's these, part of the scam. These men are not going to do something for free. Yeah. Come on now. Now, was it also a thing that they were women or did that have anything to do with not it? Not necessarily. Okay. Basically, what it had something to do with was how much Osage blood was flowing through your body. If you were 100% Osage Indian, chances were that you were not going to be allowed to touch your own money. Because you're savage. You, yeah. You're, the, that's more, their belief. the more mixed you're, in with the white yeah. race you were, the better chance you had of being able to... Control it, your own financial, but it did not affairs. matter your gender at this time. Because not that, that I, that's kind not of, that I read or noticed. You know, I, actually amazing to me. I was about to say though, I, I would ha- find it hard to believe that it does. I, I bet it did. Yeah, I bet that didn't help. An unmarried either. woman at that. Yeah. Oh are these un, are these unmarried now, women? Molly, Molly's married. Okay. Uh, okay. Her sister Anna is not. Anna is a. Uh, she was. She was a spinster. She dressed like a. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Like a. She was tomboy. 
No, right? she no, she was uh what did you call the the folks who danced in the twenties and went out and flapper. Oh, flapper. Oh, she dressed she like a, a flapper. A flapper lady. She had okay. the short haircut and all the money she could spend. So she spent two or three days at a time. She'd go to Kansas City and hang out at the dance halls and come home drunk and well, there you oh, go. she just liked to have a good time. She just liked to have a good time. Yeah, she didn't want to. She didn't want to settle down. Yeah. So those guardians, they were allowed to oversee and authorize any and all spending. They couldn't go to the grocery store unless they went by to see their guardian to get permission to spend some of their money. Good gracious! It was a government. Like it. It was this a, is this is like enraging. I know. It is enraging. It was a government endorsed system of emotional abuse and financial exploitation. Yes, you're thieves. Yeah. Oh, and did I mention if something terrible happened to someone who was incompetent, the guardian took over control of that suddenly untethered fortune. So all the more reason and motive for them to make something happen to Mm -hmm. the person. I mean, we're talking embezzlement, government sanctioned theft and deception, greed, and ultimately murder. Who is is president at this time? I have to In the 20s uh, and 24, it's uh, who is before Hoover? Is it Hoover yet? I don't know, but say his Hoover, name. No. I want to know who it is. No, I think Calvin Coolidge is still the president. Hoover doesn't get elected until November of 24, and then he only serves one term, and then FDR takes over after that for the next 14 years. So FDR um, it's, is it's allowing Harding. Oh, it's Harding. Oh, that's right. It's Harding. So so none of this we can happen. We have to happen. do the teapot dome scandal at some point in the future. That's President Harding. No, none of this can happen without the president's consent. Or... Uh, right or uh, consent or uh, apathy? Okay, yeah. is that what it what it is? More yeah. apathy than? Well, we'll get into Teapot Dome at, hopefully at some point down the road. But the Teapot Dome scandal from a couple of years before this happened had been about oil leases out in the Midwest, mm-hmm. and that that scandal ended up going all the way up to the Harding to, to Harding's White House to Look, the Oval I, Office. I don't care if you're the one in charge. The buck stops with you. Sorry, I, I mean, agree. Now you have presidents are like, oh, I get blamed for everything. Well, you don't be the one in charge. Yeah. Don't be the leader of the free well, world. I think Harding yeah. Harding died before he could face the music for whatever his role might have been in the Teapot Dome scandal. But I'd love to tell that story sometime down the road if we get okay. a chance. So. All right. So, anyways, I'll shut up. No, no, you're good. Anytime. Um, so like I said, all of those, the, the government, the, the, the embezzlement, the greed, the murder, who better than Martin Scorsese to make a film about this, right? Uh, and having talked about Scorsese so much in the last few weeks when we did the gangster stuff, like we mentioned before we went on the air, uh, I still had some of that knowledge in my head. And so it was fun. It was interesting for me to watch Killers of the Flower Moon and notice some things about the way the film was made that are distinctively Martin Scorsese. I'll give you one example. You guys remember when we talked about in Goodfellas the long steady cam scene or the long shot when they're going into the Copacabana? Uh, Henry is taking Karen on their first date, mm-hmm. and it's almost three minutes long. This is one long continuous shot. Well, there's a shot that's not quite three minutes long, but early in the movie in Killers of the Flower Moon, a similar shot, the steady cam shot. It goes all the way through a house and follows the family as they disappear into their own rooms. Anyway, I, I just kind of winked at the screen when I saw that. Thought, that's you, Martin. I get it. I see what you're doing there. Mm-hmm. I think I might have called him Marty when I said oh, that. Because you feel like, like we're you're, old pals. You're yeah, that. we're buddies yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so let's move on. So we mentioned Molly Burkhart. Let's tell you about her husband, Ernest Burkhart. That is the character played by Leonardo DiCaprio in the film. Ernest Burkhart was a World War I veteran in his 20s in the 1920s. And so suspend disbelief when you watch the film and see 48-year-old Leonardo DiCaprio playing a man in his mid-20s. Yeah, he looks old. Yeah. 
Is he supposed to though? I think they I imagine just, in your twenties at this point, did you look older? I think it was just <laughs> an aesthetic decision maybe by Scorsese to go okay. ahead and I mean they could have done the the computer stuff that they did in the Irishman, I guess, and try to take twenty years off his face. Mm-hmm. But pff, it's Leo. Who cares? Nobody cares. Marty and Leo have this all figured out. My good friends. Yeah, they, they, they <laughs> don't care. <laughs> okay, so remember that we said that it was May of 1921. It was the May the 24th, actually, was the day when Molly started to think Anna should have been home by now. I know she's been out partying, but three days is too much. Something may be going on here. She was worried. Plus, a week before... Anna had not returned home after three days. An Osage man named Charles Whitehorn had disappeared. His body turned up a week after Anna's disappearance with a pair of bullet holes in his forehead. Ooh. Uh-oh. The next day, Anna was found dead with one bullet hole in her head. Mm. So that's two murders in two days in Osage territory. Uh, and one little infuriating nugget to hold in your hands for a few minutes. And it's mentioned in the book and the movie about the business owners in Pawhuska, which is the county seat in Osage County. The mostly white business owners there had two sets of prices Ugh. for everything that they sold. Guess whose price was higher? Oh, I, yeah. I can guess. I can guess. Uh, pretty much everybody, including the undertaker, who charged as much as $6,000 to bury a Native American. That's $100,000 today. Oh my goodness. So second rate citizens, but not second rate prices. You got that right. Anyway, Molly's sister, Anna was dead. Mm. Now, a few years earlier, Molly's sister, Minnie had died from a mysterious, uh, a mysterious wasting illness. Nobody really knew what it was. She just climbed into bed and never climbed back out again. She died. Whatever it was, it was never diagnosed. So Molly and her remaining sister, Rita, so we've got Rita, Anna, and Molly, and Anna's just been found dead. Right. So now we've got Rita and Molly left. They're both married, both married to white men. Okay. Like we mentioned, Molly is married to Ernest Burkhart, and Rita is married to a man named Bill Smith, okay. who had been married to Minnie before she died, oh. and then he married Rita after the funeral, Mm-mm. the expensive funeral, I'm guessing. Mm-mm. That's weird. That's shady. I don't, I don't agree with that. So after Anna and Charles Whitehorn are found, the community is abuzz with rumors and speculation. Two murders in two days, that's, that's weird, even here. But life continued in Osage County, just like it does. I just want to know what Bill's been doing. I want to know his whereabouts. Uh, we're going we're gonna to dig, Smith. we're going to scrape Bill, the surface of that. First of all, Bill Smith sounds like an alias. Yeah. Yeah, you don't get more generic than that. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, so there's really no such thing as a police department. Anywhere in the country, for it's the most the part, police West. departments police departments don't exist in right. a lot of places yet. Um, right. Maybe a civilian who'd been elected sheriff, a couple of one bullet Barneys. Yeah, but uh, lawmen of the time were they weren't really there to solve crimes. They were gunslingers. Yeah, well, and they, they were, were trackers. They were. I, I don't know that I call them Barneys. They were probably one of the toughest folks in your town because to it, get that title and kind of keep it. People have to fear you a little I bit. I guess I'm thinking about the James Garner film, Support Your Local Sheriff, oh, because yeah. <laughs> that's Jack Elam, who's the deputy, and he's yeah. the complete idiot. Oh, yeah, so yeah, who yeah. else wants to be the deputy and get shot at? Yeah, so there, I, in my mind, it's a one bullet I point. guess I guess you're right about but that. But I think we're though. both right. It yeah. just depends yeah. on how dedicated Maybe you are to tough, law enforcement. the tough dude at the top would hire a, a 
dumb deputy to. That's what James Garner did and yeah. support your local sheriff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but they, these guys were not investigators. Gotcha. Oh, and speaking of crimes, don't forget, it's 1921. Prohibition is in effect. Oh, everybody's so mad about the that. The whole damn country is pretty lawless anyway. Yeah. Or it's in the process of getting that way. Yeah. Suffice it to say that there was not a lot of confidence that the murders would be solved, especially since the victims were both members of the Osage Nation. Mm. Two months after Anna's murder, Molly and Rita's mother, Lizzie, dropped dead. <gasps> Now, Bill Smith, Rita's husband, to his credit, he thought that her death was suspicious in nature, and since nobody else was going to do anything about it, he decided to conduct his own investigation into all of these murders. So he starts Mm -hmm. digging around, Mm -hmm. and he's going to live just long enough to regret it. Oh, so Bill wasn't involved. Well, okay. I don't think so. Apparently not. If he was, they were rubbing out a witness. Mm. Uh, In the meantime, the mystery continued to unfold in Osage County. What's Molly's husband been doing? Okay. We're right there. A few months later, a healthy 29-year-old Osage male suddenly took ill and died within a few hours. Climbed into his bed, never climbed back out again. Suspicion was that he'd been poisoned. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. A month later, an Osage woman died again. It looked like poisoning. Three months later, an Osage man took a sip of whiskey he had gotten from a stranger, began frothing at the mouth, and dropped dead on the ground. Poisoned. There were so many suspicious deaths that the Osage representative that the Osage sent a representative to Washington D.C. to implore the federal government to send help. Where was Marie Hilly at this time? Right. <laughs> yeah, this has got her written all over it. <laughs> if you don't know who that is, go back to our third episode. Yeah, ever. yeah. Or any any woman in the fifties who wanted to <laughs> knock off her husband, the poison was the way to go. It was We've was it strychnine. Or it was arsenic. Uh, arsenic. arsenic. That's right. Mm-hmm. Arsenic. Arsenic and old lace. That some p- times you couldn't even buy in the store. They'd be like, no, That's you don't right. need this. <laughs> right. So that representative that the Osage sent to Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. never made it back to Osage County alive. Oh. <sighs> he was found the day after he got there, naked in a ditch with a burlap sack secured tightly around his head. He'd been stabbed over 20 times. So is this some authorities, oil man? S- authorities suspected that somebody from Oklahoma had followed him okay. to Washington, D.C. To make sure that that happened that guy was a he was a white man but he was a local attorney that the osage trusted Mm -hmm. and they figured he would have more uh influence on the folks in dc so they encouraged they they got him to go for them his crime was being an ally to that's right he he picked the wrong team yeah things quieted down in osage county for about six months or so or so it seemed because in February of 1923 the mummified body of another osage man was found slumped over behind the wheel of his car Henry Rowan was his name, R-O-A-N. Uh, Mummified, though. In a car? Well, he, because he'd been sitting in his car all winter long with, in an open-air car in the winter. Oh. The cold had mummified his body. He was frozen. He was frozen. Oh, but before he froze, somebody put a bullet in his head. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And now we must introduce another of the players in our story, William King Hale. Okay. Hale uh, is betrayed in the film by... Robert De Niro. Okay. William Hale was a wealthy businessman in Osage County, and we all know where he got his money from, from fleecing the Indians. So, I'm, is he killing everybody? Maybe. We'll have to stick around to the end to find out. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'll That's show. all right. Um, like I said, he was a wealthy businessman who outwardly appeared to be a very good friend of the Osage people. Uh, Hale saw that the, uh, he saw the now mummified Roan was, he said it was one of his best friends. Rowan was one of my best buddies. And perhaps that was true because 
Hale was listed as the sole beneficiary of Roan's $25,000 life insurance policy, which he had just taken out at Hale's request. And we all know how suspicious that that can be. We've talked about that multiple times. Yeah, so let that marinate for just a second because I've got another plot twist for you. William Hale was Ernest Burkhart's uncle. You guys starting to hear these puzzle pieces click into place? Mm, These are some bad eggs. By that time, it was what was already being referred to as the Osage Reign of Terror. Mm. Members of the wealthy tribe were leaving their porch lights on at night and locking their doors before bedtime. Everyone was afraid that they were going to be next, and someone was about to be right. Well, now, so you said that he got the life insurance, but now no one can inherit these old checks, though, right? That's right. Okay. Yeah, the the, the full plot is not clear yet. Okay. okay. But it, there is one. There, but you can if you're the spouse. There it is. And you have no other relatives, right? If Does it go to your spouse first or your siblings first? The well, if you have Osage. a will, you can determine oh, the, the Osage way parts do, of it wills. go. But the head rights have to stay That's what I'm talking about, the head the rights. So they would go to siblings first. So it behooves someone to get rid of all the siblings. To start killing your siblings. And leave the uh, spouse yeah. there to right. inherit everything. That's right. Mm-hmm. You guys... No, I just told you that someone was about to be right about being next. Well, yeah. that someone turned out to be amateur sleuth Bill Smith. Oh, and his wife, Molly's sister, Rita. Okay, so oh. now it's Molly and her white husband. That's right. Left. One morning in March of 1923, and this is one month after Rowan's body was found mummified in the back of his car, mm-hmm. or in the front seat of his car. Yeah. It was three o'clock in the morning and everybody was sound asleep. Mm. And then suddenly everybody in town was wide awake. Because Bill and Rita's house suddenly disappeared in a thundering explosion. The blast of which radiated through the neighborhood, snapping trees, bending signposts, and blowing out windows for blocks in every direction. Oh, God. They're discreet. Rita was killed instantly. Bill survived for four days before succumbing to his injuries. It was later determined that a large explosive device had been planted under the house in the wee hours of the morning and then detonated. And so now Molly is the only sister left alive. Oh, I'm caught her, up with you. And her white husband. And that's right. Okay. Oh, and uh, Molly isn't doing very well either. She has diabetes, and there's a new drug called insulin oh, that yes. Molly is taking to help with her diabetes. How expensive is that now? It's expensive, but she can afford it. I don't know. I didn't check the price, okay. but that's a good okay. question. Yeah. yeah, she could afford it. They, actually, they make mention of that in the movie. You can afford this drug. You should use it. The problem is that every time Molly gets an injection from the doctor, she seems to get a little worse. Mm-hmm. What's and he using? Guess who schedules her? Her husband. Her house calls. Nope. Uh, Uncle William. Why? Why is Uncle scheduling? He's influential. He knows the doctor. They're buddies. I'm going to make sure. I'm going to make sure Doctor Schoen comes over and takes good care of you. What's he injecting with Wait. glucose? We don't ever find out, but we do know It'd that have to be glucose, wouldn't it? Yeah, or nothing, or, or is that salt water? I mean, yeah, yeah. So now the death toll in the Osage Reign of Terror is up to at least 24 altogether. We've skipped over a bunch, but 24 at this point. And now the Osage leaders, the tribal leaders, have had enough, and they reach out again to Washington D.C. Finally, in the summer of 1925, the organization that we know of today is the Federal Bureau of Investigation. It was just called the Bureau of Investigation back then. Okay. 
uh, they decided to send some men out to Osage County to see what was going on. And this is not long after a very young J. Edgar Hoover becomes the director and will be for the next 51 years, whatever it is. Yeah. But he's still young and go get him at the time. A lot of the things that we think of about the FBI have yet to be established. So he's it's still do brand that. new. But one thing that he wants to do, he's got to, he wants to try to get the federal government out from under the, the, the shame of that teapot dome scandal mm -hmm. because there were some crooked agents who were helping that scheme to succeed. Mm -hmm. So Hoover's the new guy. He wants to come in and clean house and really put the FBI on the front page of the paper nationwide. And he figures that this case, which has drawn nationwide attention by now, might be a way. If I can get my guys out there to solve that, we can really put a feather in the FBI's cap, no pun intended, and you know, put ourselves in a good light create some distance between us and this teapot dome thing. Mm -hmm. And and I'll be the guy who comes out looking, smelling like a rose at the end. Sure. This is Hoover thinking. Yeah. So Hoover sent an agent named Tom White. Now that's played by, you guys know the actor Jesse Plemons? Yes. The redhead, he was in Breaking Bad. He's been in some other things. He's a great actor. I love yeah. him in anything. Uh, he plays Tom White in the film. So they sent White out to investigate the murders. He's a former Texas Ranger. So still the old school style of investigator, mm -hmm. like I said, the FBI really, they're not the black suits and striped ties just yet, or, you know, thin strip ties and sunglasses. They're not, they haven't developed into that yet. Okay. All right. And you asked me about this earlier, Kelly, here's the side note I was going to get to the one aspect of the story where the book and the movie really diverge. Mm -hmm. The subtitle of Grant's book, Killers of the Flower Moon, is The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI. Okay. That's what drew me to the book when it came out mm -hmm. six years ago. That's why I grabbed it and read it because I wanted to learn about how the FBI came to be. Sure. Scorsese didn't want to tell that version of the story because he didn't want to tell another story where the white man comes in and saves the day. Because in this movie, the white man's the bad guy. Yeah. But, yeah, oh, definitely. But as... What about this FBI guy? Is he actually a good guy? Does he help? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the book goes into a lot more detail about the investigation and how that all mm -hmm. peters out than I will. Scorsese wanted to focus on, and I think I read somewhere that he and Leonardo DiCaprio sat down and tried to figure out where the heart of the movie was going to be, and they settled on the relationship between Molly and Ernest. Well, and it sounds like there's two different stories there yeah. Yeah, that you can definitely. focus on. So, so. Scorsese kind of, he, he papers over a lot of the FBI portion of the story in the mm -hmm. film. Mm -hmm. So you can get a lot more from the book if you want to find out. It sounds like a great book. It, it really is. One of the first things that Tom White focused on was the fact that three of the victims were all related. Molly's two sisters and Bill Smith. They're all related to Molly. Yes. So just like you said a minute ago, yeah. you've got to get it down to one last person. Mm -hmm. And that was the, the first clue, that was where Agent White began his investigation. Yeah. White would eventually discover that the last person to see Molly's sister, Anna, alive was Ernest Burkhart's brother, Brian Burkhart. White eventually found a witness who had seen Brian Burkhart and Anna together several hours after Brian claimed he had last seen Anna when he dropped her off at her house. Mm, he's lying. And other witnesses began to emerge. Some of them uh, didn't want to be interviewed on the record, it turned out, because they were afraid of what would happen to them if William Hale found out that they had spoken up. Oh, sure. William Hale, a very influential man in Pawhuska. Yeah. Wealthy, influential. He didn't ask you to do something. He told you to do something. He's Ernest their Burkhart version said. of the Godfather. 
their godfather. Kind of. I mean, he's just a, you know, a very important man in town. Has a lot of pull. He's got friends uh, in the state house. He's got friends in Washington, D.C. He's just that influential person. He can make you or break you, but it all comes with a price. That's right. A little narcissism, maybe. Yeah. From old Uncle Bill. As far as Agent White was concerned, William Hale, who had long held uh, held himself up as Molly Burkhart's staunch protector and a friend of all the Osage people, was beginning to fit very nicely into the role of lead suspect. More than one witness intimated that Ernest Burkhart, too, was in on the scheme, at least a part of which seemed, as the investigation by Agent White seemed to confirm, uh, it was designed to direct as many mineral headrights as possible into the possession of Molly Burkhart and ultimately into Ernest Burkhart's hands, should anything befall her. And remember, she doesn't feel well because her insulin isn't working, assuming it's insulin. So that was the aha moment for Agent White. The more rocks he kicked over, the more graft and exploitation he uncovered in Osage County. Basically, the Osage were being robbed blind. Practically, the entire portion of the community who were not members of the tribe were in on this scheme Mm -hmm. one way or the other, Mm -hmm. or some portion of it, the graft portion anyway. You remember the story about the $80,000 funeral, right? Or $100,000, whatever it was. Yeah. Think that. Uh, And the part of the story that was the most agonizing for me was to realize, and it's explained in the book, the Osage people were not idiots. They knew what was happening. They knew that they were being duped and overcharged and robbed and in some cases murdered by their government-appointed guardians for their money and mineral head rights, and also that the very same government did not care about what was happening to them. And it, it took Hoover and that motivation that he had that we just spoke about to come in and get something done. So it's almost an accident. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just the go get him Hoover that got something done. The, the rest of the government might've just said to hell with it for who knows how much longer. Yeah. It's but, taking care of itself for us. We don't right. want to worry about it. And again, a lot more about the investigation in the book by David Grant from yeah. 2017. Yeah. So now we're closing in on the end of this thing. Okay. There are a lot of twists and turns along the way in the investigation. You can read about those in the book. You can see some of them portrayed in the film. But eventually, Ernest Burkhart and his uncle, William Hale, are both brought in for questioning, partly based on the fact that before he died in the hospital, four days after uh, his house was firebombed, Bill Smith had muttered through his bandages that the only two enemies he had were Ernest Burkhart and William Hale. Ooh. Hmm. There is eventually a good deal of courtroom drama. You'll have to read that or see it for yourself. Yeah. Uh, But the story does finally make its way into the courtroom because Ernest Burkhart's conscience finally got the best of him. He ended up pleading guilty to being involved or to having awareness of the plot with his uncle to arrange the murder of his sister-in-law, Anna, in the ravine where she was found Mm -hmm. and his sister-in-law, Rita, and her husband, Bill, in that home explosion. Of course he did. As I said, Burkhart's conscience got the best of him. But it took a minute because the first time he was called to testify, he'd already told Agent White that he was going to tell the whole story in court. And before he could get to court a couple of days later, Uncle Bill and his lawyers got to him in jail. And when they got Burkhart up onto the witness stand, he recanted his confession and denied the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Eventually, He changed his mind again. And I think Scorsese hints in his version of the story that it was Ernest's sincere love for Molly 
that made him finally change his mind and decide that he just couldn't live with the guilt. So he pled guilty. There there wasn't even a trial for him. He just pled guilty and uh, promised to tell his version of the story in the trial of Uncle William Hale because Hale says, I'm going to fight this. Yeah, of course he does. Because he thinks he can get away with it. Yeah, he's got all these friends. He's got all this influence. And this was all, remember, so that the head rights for the oil held by the related victims would eventually end up in Molly's possession and eventually in Ernest Burkhardt's. Mm-hmm. Burkhardt insisted on the witness stand that Uncle Bill had masterminded the entire thing. The one thing Burkhardt never admitted to was any knowledge that his wife Molly was slowly being poisoned, which it turned out she apparently was because as soon as Hale and Burkhardt get incarcerated, Molly suddenly takes a turn for the better. Of course she does. There's all, it's an actual insulin now or yeah, whatever it is. Right. For the rest of his life, William Hale stuck to his story of ignorance about any such business as a murder for money scheme, but he was charged and tried and finally convicted in the summer of 1926 for the first degree murder of his friend Henry Roan. Hale was sentenced to life in prison. He was released on parole in 1947 and lived into his 80s. What did he do after that? I was about to say, with Molly? Mm-hmm. No, that was Hale. Yeah, the uncle. Oh, oh, that was the Hale. Uncle that was Uncle Bill. Bill. Sorry. Yeah, I got what confused. did he do after uh, that? I know that uh, it says that he died in Arizona. Mm. So I guess he picked up and moved and maybe okay. started his life over again. He served 21 years in prison. And what happened to Ernest? I'm getting there. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Okay, okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's- so not too long after Hale was convicted and sent to prison, Agent Tom White was promoted uh, to be the warden of the federal penitentiary in Leavenworth, Kansas. Okay. And not long after that, Hale was transferred to Leavenworth. Upon his arrival in shackles, White met him at the front gate. The two men exchanged pleasant greetings and shook hands. It describes okay. the scene in the book. Okay. Hey, Tom, how are you? Hey, Bill, good to see you. Yep. Welcome home. Burkhart, too, was given a life sentence. Molly saw to it that he was also given his divorce papers. Uh huh. Yeah. Burkhart spent 10 years behind bars before he was paroled. In 1966, the governor of Oklahoma pardoned him for his role in the Osage murders. What? Why? I do not know. I would love to find out. Sounds like patronage to me. Somebody bribed the governor or promised him a nice boat. I don't know. Isn't that how it works? How does let's call Fob James and ask him how that works. <laughs> <laughs> Burkhart lived to be a very old man. I think he died at age 87. Was he still there in Oklahoma? I don't know where he was. Oh, okay. I don't know if he went back or not. Okay. Uh, he was free to go wherever he wanted because he was newly single. Yeah. Uh, In April of 1931, Molly Burkhart won a court battle to have her declaration of incompetency rescinded. There you go. Good. At the age of 44, Molly could finally spend her money as she pleased. Good. And was recognized as a full-fledged American citizen. She got to experience that lifestyle for six years because she died at age 50 from diabetes in 1937. I'm guessing she had type one. If she's having to have insulin. I'm not a doctor. Yeah. I'm not either, but I'm guessing <laughs> if she's having to have insulin, right? right. Well, I don't know. No, you would. T- I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but yeah, I guess you have insulin for both. I don't okay. know what you do. Okay. I know that type one, you don't have enough and type two, you have too, too much. much. Okay. But. So it must be type one. I see I what you mean. I don't know how, it, how uh, that I works see. in yeah. the treatment. Yeah. Uh, in 1932, the U.S. Congress passed a law barring anyone who was not at least half Osage from inheriting head rights. There you go. 
from another member of the tribe. Okay, good for them. And that's pretty much the way that the killers of the flower moon worked out for me. Spoiler alert. I read the movie. <laughs> I mean, I read the book. I watched the movie. Uh, it was it was very interesting. I loved it. There's a lot of... Uh, we're the 101 version of every crime that yeah, we Yeah, so arrived. definitely people Dig should in. go to the movie and read the book still. The movie's three hours and 26 minutes. Ooh, dang. So, you know... Uh, bring, I'm going to have to stream that. Bring a jar <laughs> or, you know, just donate before you go. I'm going to have whatever. to wait and stream that yeah. at my, in uh, my there, home. There's a ton of YouTube videos that you can watch. Uh, there's plenty of podcasts out there. One thing that I found very interesting before we wrap it up today, you guys know who Reed Drummond is, right? The Pioneer woman? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so she lives in Pawhuska, Oklahoma. Okay. Really? That's Osage County. The Drummond family, her husband's family, owns 9% of Osage County. Hmm. Most of that Ooh. land used to be Osage Indian property. Mm-hmm. The, it was part of the, the original uh, reservation and then the county, but through the years, apparently, the Drummond ancestors were some of those guardians oh, back okay. in the day. Uh-huh. So there, there's this whole podcast series that I forgot the name of that deal with the Drummond thing mm-hmm. and how that land may have come into their possession and whether it was above board or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read one article where they had reached out to the Drummond family and re in particular for a comment and they had not heard anything, but that's a whole rabbit hole. If you want to go down oh, that, yeah, they're, knock not yourself gonna, out. they're not going to get a comment. Uh, if, they, yeah, if they comment on that, they're idiots. Just, <laughs> yeah. it'll go away in a couple of months. The next scandal will come along Yeah, and yeah. they'll, but that was just something that somebody mm-hmm. put the, the pieces together. Yeah. The, the internet math. will dig up anything. Right. Yeah. 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 Just to make it interesting. Anyway, guys, that's all I've got today. So, uh, that was very good. Very interesting. We encourage everybody to get this book and go see this movie. Yeah. I just, I, I a lot of times we don't get a chance to do anything so timely as this. I mean, yeah. the movie just came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times we're 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 six months behind. We're the caboose of the story, but we had the opportunity this time, so uh, we I took like advantage it. of it. I think I'm it glad was we great. did. It was fun. It, it, I probably would have put off seeing the movie longer than I did, mm-hmm. just because it's three and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. But I I said, you know, darn it, I'm just I've, I've got to see it. I'm going to do it because how can I get on the podcast and talk about? <laughs> This story, if I haven't seen the film. Yeah. So anyway, sure. I'm glad I did. That was a really good movie. Awesome. I don't think it's his best movie. Goodfellas is still the best Scorsese movie to me. But I'd say it's top five of the 26 films he's made. Okay. Well, awesome. Yeah. That's great. So everybody go see that. Oh, God. Shane. <laughs> Please get blinds on the damn windows, Katie. He just stuck <sighs> his face in the window and scared the crap out of what us. What a ham. I mean, <laughs> he's not even on the show and he can't help it. He does this all the time. <laughs> Every week he does this. Hey, Shane. Let's just, can we cut that no, whole thing? No, uh, <laughs> He was about to Yeah, he was about us. to give us a pressed ham on the glass. I'm glad he didn't do that. <laughs> I don't know why he thought putting his mouth on that window would be I'm glad he did his mouth before he did the other thing. (laughs) If he'd have gotten that backwards. That'd have been bad. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Scott. Great job this week. Uh, Go to our social media outlets. Go to our website. Tell us what you think. Send us an email with a case that you may have. Uh, If you leave us a five-star review, please comment so we can give you a shout out. Go to truecrimeoneasystreet.com and hang out with us. It's almost like we're there. (laughs) <laughs> sure. You've done a great job with the website. Yes, you have. You, uh, you well, I wasn't fishing job. for a compliment, but I'll take it. You Thanks. also do a great job at the Facebook mm-hmm. page. You're interacting with folks. I think you do a great job. I have a lot of free time. Okay, well, good. <laughs> good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>